For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. From the epistle of Paul to the Romans, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was given a great gift by none other than the Church of England Communications Office. That office posted a social media promo for a live-streamed Trinity Sunday service, and the copy there read, God is revealed through the Trinity. Don't think about that statement for longer than a few minutes. Your brain will explode. God is revealed through the Trinity in charity, I can say that this must have been some kind of mistake, an oversight leading material heresy to be posted widely, and we can and should have patience for that. Who hasn't made some sort of blunder on social media? Maybe you don't have social media. But as a priest of the church, I must say that even foolish mistakes can be deadly, that there is such a deficit of catechesis today that such statements have become commonplace. The truth of the matter is this, that we Christians believe in the God who is the Trinity, not the God who reveals himself through the Trinity. To say that God is revealed through the Trinity is as much nonsense as me saying that the human being who is me is revealed through Lee Nelson. Am I not myself? To take a more sinister read, in the midst of a culture which believes that persons can choose to manifest or reveal themselves in wide and varied and contradictory ways disconnected from the body, disconnected from any canonical notion of what a human being actually is, statements like this are sadly and terrifyingly fitting. Christians have the task today of reminding our society that its very ideas of personhood, individual liberties, and equal protection under the law, what used to be called liberalism, are at the heart deeply Christian ideas extrapolated not so much from what God has revealed about us, but from what God has revealed about himself. Namely, that God is a unity of three persons. I'm reminded of what the Orthodox scholar John Zizialos once wrote, only in communion can God be what God is, and only as communion can God be at all. Zizialos actually gives a history of this uh, word person, and claims, and rightly, that it was Christians who gave us the definition of this word. The self-revelation of God contained in Holy Scripture is that of a communion of persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this reality is not extrinsic to the very nature of God. It is not something external that he reveals. It is who God is. The trouble is that many today have an understanding that goes something like this, that for the first three centuries, Christians blessedly had no foggy idea of what they had witnessed in the days between Good Friday and Pentecost. Only certain notions which ultimately because of, and here you can take your pick, patriarchy, power struggles, or just plain old conspiracy theories, what came out on the other end was this orthodox doctrine of the Trinity, which isn't real Christianity. I hope you know that. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. 
The problem is that even and especially those who defend the doctrine and did in those years did so on the basis of Holy Scripture. They didn't do so because they thought it made rational sense. They did it because it was what they read between the pages of their Bibles. They see in the pages of Scripture that the God whom they have come to worship and adore is this three-person God. Moreover, they believe this to be an article of faith such that salvation itself depends upon it. We will recite today in the Athanasian Creed, whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith. But don't be scandalized by that word. Catholic here means the opposite of heretical. Just get that through your brain. Maybe get it to your heart. That would be a good thing too. And then it goes on clearly and unambiguously to define that doctrine. We don't recite this creed just to be cute or adorable on Trinity Sunday, although I get really excited about reading the Athanasian Creed on Trinity Sunday. I hope you know that. And I must remind you that there was a time in Anglicanism where it was said like seven times a year, even on Christmas Day, which I think is really good. The purpose of a creed, according to our own catechism, is to declare and safeguard God's truth about himself, ourselves, and creation as God has revealed it in Holy Scripture. The truth we proclaim today is the truth of Holy Scripture. This was not some idea cooked up in the 5th or 6th centuries to oppress the heretical minority. Scholars tell us that this creed originates not with Athanasius, but possibly Vincent of Lorraine, the great church father who says a great deal about what it means to be Catholic or what is Catholic. Either way, what is contained in it is quite simply the faith by which ancient Christians believed they had been saved. Even more accurately, the faith which they believed they had received from the apostles, the preaching of Jesus Christ, and adoption by the Holy Spirit. This is the faith which teaches Christians to pray, Our Father. It is the faith which teaches that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And it is the faith which teaches, as Paul does in the reading from Romans today, that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. In short, the doctrine of the Trinity is a kind of shorthand for the biblical truth of divine revelation, the biblical account of salvation. Karl Rahner, the Jesuit priest and theologian, wrote in the 1970s that Christians are mostly mere monotheists, and that if the doctrine of the Trinity was dispensed with, very little of our literature would have to be republished. I think that's a very damning uh, statement. Very little of our literature would have to be republished because it's essentially this kind of mere monotheism. The downside of a lack of clarity or investigation in the doctrinal truth of the Trinity is that many believing this doctrine to be an incomprehensible mystery, which it is, by the way, have thrown up their hands and say, why bother? and have become captive not to biblical truth, but to the idolatry of their own vain imaginations. Those who say, oh, there's so little that we can know, and by the way, here's what we do know. That, in a nutshell, is what has always and what will always be called simply heresy. That, in a nutshell, is this what is at variance with Christian orthodoxy, but etymologically it means this, choosing for oneself. There is, of course, no meaningful difference between these two. To be at variance with Christian orthodoxy is to choose for oneself. To choose for oneself is to be at variance with Christian orthodoxy. After all, we are those who believe what we have received. 
if I, if I, was, if I really had a really good preaching flair, I would say, we believe what we have received so that we are not deceived. That'd be good, wouldn't it? It is worth noting today, as we read from Paul's letter to the Romans, that Christians have often found that Romans 1 offers the clearest depiction of this. It is Paul's greatest concern in writing to the church at Rome. Claiming to be wise, he says, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. I must say, every time I put the slides together for Trinity Sunday, I get this, uh, this kind of shiver up my back. And my inner iconoclast goes a little wild and says, well, maybe we ought not put images like this one up on the screen for danger of committing idolatry on a Sunday morning. But, but nevertheless, I think that there is something of a place at certain times and only very little for that. Heresy constitutes a worship of mortal man. It is to make God in our image. Worship of the creation which surrounds us. It is an exchange of the truth for a lie. And let me be even more clear. It is little surprise that Paul makes the connection here to acts of homosexuality. The abusive, unnatural, and demeaning use of the created order in other human beings entirely for self-pleasure in one who shares our image, in one who looks exactly like us, for sexual gratification is a cruelty whose very theological underpinning is heresy. Lust is justified by delusion and error. It is a total delusion for a Christian to believe that what is by its very nature abusive and demeaning can be anything remotely like love. What has led to the doctrinal battles of the last decades in Anglicanism and many other churches is not, oh, you're just obsessed with sex. No, it's a battle over the very nature of divine revelation and salvation. It is a battle about what is orthodox and what is not, what is Catholic and what is heretical. But here's the joy, here's the hope. The truth of the doctrine of the Trinity is the true doctrine which teaches us not only what love is, but trains us to love. Indeed, something could be said about the doctrine of the Trinity and something like marriage. A communion of persons. Bishop C. Fitzsimmons Allison who was the one-time bishop of South Carolina, wrote a wonderful book entitled The Cruelty of Heresy. In it, one of the clearest points he makes is that heresies either advance the idea that this world is to be escaped or that human beings are meant to be self-sufficient. Both ideas are cruel. Consider it for a moment. Someone is suffering a very terrible thing in life. They're suffering deeply. They're suffering terribly, potentially disease potentially mental distress, loss, mourning, and you go up to them and say, well, after all, you're not really meant for this life. This life is an abstraction. You've got to get it through your head that you don't actually exist. Or something like this. You are really very self-sufficient, don't you know that? You really just need to try harder. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. 
Both ideas are cruel. They hold out little, if any, hope for people who are suffering, people who are enduring the severity which marks much of human life. I mean, I hope you notice that Paul ends this reading from, from Romans today, this, this reading which we had this morning, that, that, that we shall live with Him provided that we do what? Suffer with Him. Only Christian orthodoxy has a place for suffering with Christ. Because it also understands how it is that we are in communion with Christ, in communion with the Trinity. Christian doctrine presents us with the teaching of, God, of a God who is utterly transcendent, but utterly involved in the affairs of this world, who created the world good and who desires to set it right. For God so loved the world. We come to believe in a God who lovingly offers help, not from afar, rubbing our back with a broomstick just to keep us away, those yucky human beings but in the person of the divine Son who takes on human flesh to live as one of us, and not just that, but God the Holy Spirit who indwells you if you're baptized right now, bearing testimony from within you that you are also a child of God. We bear witness to God the Father who alone is the one true God. Just as we state in the Nicene Creed, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty. We believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is consubstantial with the Father. For the Father to have a Son who is eternally begotten means that Jesus Christ is not God the Father, but that He is God in every way but that of being called the Father. St. Athanasius once wrote, what is said of the Father is said in Scripture of the Son also, all but His being called Father. Christians do not shy away from using the language of God with regard to the Son. So we must say that God was born of, human, born of a woman, that God has a mother, Mary, that God died on the cross. The logic of the fathers is something like this. In order to redeem human beings, the Son must be very God of very God as well as being fully human. And to this, the Athanasian Creed gives witness. The same logic is applied to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is to redeem us, the Holy Spirit must be God to be worshipped with the Father and the Son. These three persons share one usia, one substance, and yet they are three distinct persons. The problem with coming up with unique spins on the doctrine of the Trinity, the problem with riffing on the doctrine of the Trinity, the problem even with analogies, which are always a disaster, with regard to the Trinity, is that they actually disrupt the entire economy of salvation. If the doctrine of the Trinity is not true, then you and I cannot be saved. That's the truth of it. The Christian has, led by the Holy Spirit, embraced this truth, truth which belongs to a child of God. You see, Paul's teaching is not that Christians know the truth about God so much as that the Christian has been taken up into the divine fellowship of the Trinity. We bear witness to what we know. That to be a child of the Father who is in Christ crucified and risen, who is indwelt by the divine Holy Spirit, is the very meaning at the heart of salvation. By embracing this reality that is so foreign, by learning it, 
by living in the truth of it, and perhaps most importantly, being minute by minute, day by day reminded of it, that our citizenship is in heaven. That I am an heir of the kingdom of God. By being reminded of the all-consuming love of God into which you and I have been as persons drawn, everything has changed. Everything. Consider for a moment, just a moment, how different your life would be if you actually believed that the personal communion of persons at the very heart of the triune God has been extended to you. This is what Paul's talking about. Listen to this again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, think about it for a moment. If I adopted a child and I said, well, this is my son, Oliver, and my daughter, Moira, and all these others, all these seven others, and then this is my adopted kid. You would say, what? No, I would never do that. What would I say? This is my son. This is my daughter. Not by nature, but by the gift which her mother and I gave. The love of God, the love of the God who is love itself has been extended to you. The love of God is extended to you this day in fellowship with the body and blood of Jesus. For this very life which is hidden in you, or rather the life that you have that is hidden with God is in you. And of that, you are a witness. So today we bear witness to the true faith of the triune God in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.